0: My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. I am.
1: Hello, hello, welcome back to the Post Credit Pod. Very special episode this week. Stick around to the end. We got our 30-minute interview with Zack Snyder. We're talking Army of the Dead on Netflix. We're talking potential Man of Steel sequels. We're talking about the philosophy of Batman. More specifically, Eric is talking about the philosophy of Batman with his man Snyder. And as I've said on this pod last week, it is the most animated, most excited I've ever seen, Eric. It was like kid in a candy store on Christmas. It was awesome. It was it was generally a sight to behold. Like you I know, really enjoyed
0: it. I've thought about it this week and I think it went so well because I'm sure it's rare about like that somebody wasn't asking him about the business of Zack Snyder. Like what he thinks about the fan movement or what he thinks about, you know, his relationship with Warner Bros. And more so just like what Snyder thinks about the art that he makes. So that's why I think our chat. It was a blast it's probably the most fun I've had in my <laughs> career so far so yeah listen I think
1: I think personally that you have been waiting for the moment where you could show a creative your Batman tattoo which you were <laughs> able to accomplish in this conversation am I, mean, I am I wrong come on was I not going to How, uh, I no mean, of course you have
0: to plus well what helps is that he is a tattoo guy as well so, oh like, yeah, totally. So there's an end there, like if it, you know, I don't know if I, like
1: show you can tell to... he d- he dig, it. he dug it, you know. Yeah, like, yeah, he yeah. Was about well,
0: it. Yeah. So great talk. We like you said, we got him for thirty minutes, which, dude, I've been seeing the press that he's done this week. We had one of the longest time slots. I don't know how the fuck that happened, but it did. Post-cred pod, blowing up. Yeah, and it's fucking great. Like, follow, give
1: us a five-star
0: review. (laughs) Great time, yeah. All
1: right, but before we get to Zack Snyder, we're going to jump into a lot of quick-hitting news. And with this kind of mid-break for the Marvel Cinematic Universe right now, we're going to talk about which big bad villains could kind of fill the Thanos-esque role in Phase 4. But let's start with the news, Eric. First off, we got Knives Out casting. A new story dropping basically every day this week, which is great promotion for them. No, I
0: seriously think it was every single day. That's seriously. Unbelievable. Because so- it was it was uh, Batista Monday, Norton Tuesday, Janelle Monet, Wednesday, Catherine Hahn Thursday. We're taping this at like 10.30 on a Friday. Perhaps they will drop one more today too.
1: Yeah, so if there is one more and it's not... Mentioned here, don't get up all up in our, you know, acts on Twitter being like, you missed this one. But Eric, I mean, just phenomenal cast, just like the first one. And I just want to say how smart of Ryan Johnson. First of all, great writer. Hollywood is tripping over themselves to get into his murder mysteries, but he's building a franchise that isn't beholden to like a set group of star schedules. They don't have like increasing payments with each sequel. It's just a whole exciting new cast every time that becomes its own story.
0: Yeah, well, that was my main note that that's its strength, right? The cell is not so much the franchise *Knives Out*, but the knowledge that the *Knives Out* franchise comes with a wide-ranging A-list cast. Like that's sort of its thing. It's certainly not the first to do it, but the but how long it's been since a proper A-list starring *Who Done It*? I can't remember in my lifetime. I couldn't tell you. That being a thing, right? That was a thing of like Hollywood's past, but certainly not now. So that is what I think the selling point of the franchise is. And that is why Netflix went for it. And not only because you could reinvent the cast, that inherently allows you to reinvent the story. Like you just said, what word did you use? Beholden? Yeah. To a certain storyline. They can start fresh every time. The fact that Daniel Craig is popping up is more that he's just like a... Not so much a narrator, but a narrative anchor, right? Like Benoit he, Blanc. He's just the consistency and the in the style and the tone and the humor that you could come to expect each time. But outside of that, it's going to be a freshly new thing. To name drop shamelessly, I've interviewed Ryan Johnson before,
1: and he was like, yeah, you know my 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 I've wanted to do a murder mystery since I was a child because I love the Agatha Christie novels. And just Ra- Ryan Johnson, for any reason, if you're listening, we'd love to have you on the show. talk about it more (laughs) all right disney announced that jungle cruise dwayne johnson emily blunt will arrive both in theaters and disney plus premiere access means disney plus subscribers you got to hit them with a 30 dollars pvod charge on july 30th so it joins black widow and cruella and before that ryan the last dragon and mulan as kind of simultaneous pvod disney plus premiere access releases and in theaters Eric, I have heard nothing but good things for like a year about Jungle Cruise behind the scenes. I've heard it's really funny, really entertaining. I've heard um, our boy Jesse Plemons, who plays the villain, is absolutely fantastic in No it.
0: way, he's in this
2: too. So Yo, he's, in this the, he's in the guy. villain.
1: And uh, I believe New York Times Kyle Buchanan tweeted in the last 48 hours, which had cemented what I had heard previously, that Plemons said to him, He's like, Man, I don't know what people are going to think about my performance in Jungle Cruise because I really went for it. It's as big as I'm capable of being. So, like Jesse Plemons unhinged, like I'm in, I'm in. Yeah,
0: big, big is one word that I would never
1: exactly think
0: of when I think of him. So, wow, (laughs) that just brought up my hype for this significantly. I'm not going to lie to you. (laughs) I had no idea that he was not only in it but playing the bad guy. That's fantastic. And apparently just cutting loose and having fun, awesome. which is awesome. yeah. Disney also announced that
1: Ryan Reynolds is free guy and Marvel's Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings will each have 45-day theatrical runs exclusively before being made available via at-home platforms. So that seemingly confirms and cements the 90-day window is dead. Disney was under the least amount of pressure to shorten their windows because they are the reigning box office king. So the fact that they're doing so, I don't think we'll ever see a traditional 90-day window ever again.
0: Yeah, but do you think that they're even going to do that for films like Eternals and No Way Home? Because I, I feel Yes, I like, do. Really? Because I yeah. think that this more suggested of the timeline of theater's returns. Like, look at... uh their next two films, right? Jungle Cruise and... Cruella. and Cruella oh. and Black
1: Widow, then then Jungle Cruise. All
0: three of those are yeah. doing the... Uh, what do you call it? Day and date?
1: Yeah, the day and date. So it's Disney Plus, Premiere,
0: Access, and theaters. And then their next two films, which are late summer, are doing the 45 days. So that leads me to believe, given that sort of timeline that they're on, that by, late, by the time fall rolls around, they're hoping to go back to the way things were. Or at it's- least... It's not definitely the way indicative, things were, but not the way things were. But dropping Spider-Man No Way Home 45 days after it hits theaters on streaming seems.
1: Well, that's not necessarily streaming. It's most likely would be, you know, premium video on demand for, for a price as, as the secondary window. Then eventually, uh you know, streaming other at home platforms. That's, but, different. that's different. But I, I, I guarantee, I mean, first of all, most major blockbusters make the majority of their money in the first uh four weeks. So the 45 days window covers that but i i would be genuinely flabbergasted if later in the year their movies go back to a 90-day window i don't think we'll ever see a 90-day window ever again you heard it here first even though I i'm guess, not the first person guess, to say I'm it i'm
0: not saying 90 but i just
1: feel like you, and you got to remember every major studio now so paramount sony warner brothers uh disney um you know even even other like streaming type studios every single one is now agreed to a shortened window. With some major exhibitors. Gotcha. Okay. So it's a whole new world we live in, man. The pandemic just expedited the
0: trajectory we were already on. I'm fine with it. As we've said, you know, uh, the choice is great. Uh, Both Cruella and A Quiet Place Part 2 come out on the 28th. Yeah, I'm yeah. going to watch Cruella at home, but that's because we're going to get screeners, but I'm going to go to the theater to watch quiet place the day it comes out. And that's the point, right? Like the choice. And I think that that Flexibility, is ability baby as fans, you know, this is not what we've always wanted, but now that it's here. And once we live in that world we're we're going to be like, Oh dude, this is
1: it. <laughs> I'm gonna see a uh, Quiet Place Two uh, that Saturday. And it'll be my first movie in exactly in 15 exactly. months. pond.
0: and apparently we don't have to wear masks indoors for that shit either anymore. So I'm probably you know. still
1: gonna wear a mask just to be careful. Look, you saw eight Yankees caught it even though they were vaccinated.
0: Yeah, well, that's because the Yankees suck.
1: Man, fuck you, Mets. <laughs> that's, that's that's something a Mets fan would say. The Mets All are good right. though. Apple has teamed with A24 to release Denzel Washington and Francis McDormand's The Tragedy of Macbeth, which is also directed by Ethan Cohen, one half of the Cohen brothers. No, I thought it was Joel. Uh, you might be right. Um, no, because Joel is married to Francis, I think. And I don't think he, I, You know what? I could be wrong. You, yeah, look it up. I, don't, I can't remember. I but Go long ahead. story short, Apple guys, like, very quietly are going to be a force at the next awards season. They are putting together it's a Joel. prestige... Joel. All right, well played. Well played, sir. Tip of the cap. <laughs> uh, but they're going to be a force at award season. They got Killers of the Flower Moon coming up. Marty Scorsese, Leo, Bobby D. They got Emancipation, Will Smith's. Uh, slave drama. They got Finch, a Tom Hanks sci-fi movie. They got Coda, which is a highly hyped Sundance film that they set a, uh, a festival record with a $25 million acquisition. They got a kit bag in a couple of years, Ridley Scott, Joaquin Phoenix, Jodie Comer. They got Snowblind, a Jake Gyllenhaal thriller, and, and a handful of other, you know, a, quote unquote, original films that they've added to their docket. So very quietly, Apple's becoming a player.
0: It's getting there. It's getting there because when you scroll through their films these days, it's pretty barren. But coming, yeah, it's coming, man.
1: I'm 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 excited for what's to come.
0: I mean, Killers of the Flower Moon, a Martin Scorsese western,
1: two hundred million dollar western. Yeah,
0: like come on, dude. That's that's aces right there.
1: <laughs> uh, Regina King is set to direct Legendary's monster hunting movie Bitter Root. Now, to sounds, me, it li-
0: sounds great.
1: Yeah, it sounds awesome. It sounds like a really cool movie. But to me, this likely takes her out of the running for the Superman reboot. She was on the short list Because to me, if I'm Warner Brothers, it sounds like, you know, with a writer set to deliver a final script by the end of the year, they want to start production in the next, you know, eight months, 12 months. And presumably, that's going to be a two to three year, you know, commitment as a huge blockbuster reboot. And it sounds like this movie is no small potatoes. It's probably going to take up you know what, a, between a year and two years of Regina King's life, so I don't see her now being in the running, personally. Yeah, yeah. It would be interesting to see how it comes out. Uh Obi-Wan Kenobi series has officially begun filming. You know, Eric, this is my number one most anticipated
0: of this Star Wars Disney Plus series, so I'm fucking pumped. Yeah, same. I don't know. There's, <laughs> there's, not, there's not much else to add. Ewan did say something on Jimmy Kimmel Live about his costume is not quite the same as the one that we last saw him in, leading leading fans to obviously think that that means he's going to be rocking sort of the Clone Wars armor that he rocked, like that white sort of shoulder padded thing. Okay. I mean, whatever
1: he's rocking, I'll be like, that's probably cool. You know, (laughs) I won't be too focused on the costume. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. Margot Robbie Has said she is, quote, pestering WB about a Harley Quinn Poison Ivy team up. I would like to see it. And I would just like to quickly throw out four fan cast options. Except you left off the best one. Okay. Then you'll have to put that cherry on top. Just four potential fan cast options if that were ever to turn into a reality. Natalie Dormer, who fans probably know from Game of Thrones, Jessica Chastain, great actress, Kerry Washington, great actress, Kerry Russell, also great actress,
0: Emma Stone. Oh yeah, that would be pretty damn good Very good, especially You're with right. them two together That'd be a fantastic vibe
1: You're right, that's pretty good She turned down Cheetah in Wonder Woman 1984 good. I believe Smart decision, yeah. are yeah, Smart decision, Absolutely. You're smart, very, decision.
0: Very right. see, smart girl, you love <laughs> to see it
1: And then finally, Kevin Feige Reportedly uh, from Variety Is not interested in running Lucasfilm Which is something we all already know
0: Yeah, I'm and- confused as to why he was asked that question
1: just because he's producing a Star Wars movie and because like a certain segment of the Star Wars fandom is like, get Kathleen Kennedy out of there.
0: Yeah, that's never going to happen. So. Yeah, so,
1: you know, when when you have four out of five movies go welcome over a billion Earth. dollars, welcome to Earth, motherfucker. Um, all right, let's move on. Before we get to our Zack Snyder interview with this kind of mid-break in the MCU while we all wait for Loki, it's kind of time to start speculating who the big phase four villains are might be now before we get into some specific names eric i just want to do a quick overview thoughts because love it i suspect personally that moving into this phase not forever but this phase marvel is going to focus on some shorter term big baddies rather than another 11 year saga you know the infinity saga paid off and it was the most successful franchise culmination in Hollywood history, but it's going to be very difficult to pull that off twice, especially back to back. So I definitely think they're going to try to connect more films together and again, use the Avengers movies as these kind of bookends. But I would be surprised if they try to do something with the exact same scope and ambition of the Infinity Stones right away. So I think phase four is probably going to be more defined by slightly smaller multi-film big bads that don't necessarily culminate in one infinity saga pinnacle that's what i expect
0: personally and that just makes sense right they can't just just from a sheer scale standpoint they have to scale back up to where they once were they can't simply just dive you back into a thanos type threat right now um i mean the shows and the content that we're currently dealing with is literally in the weeks and months following the reverse snap <laughs> you know, like these people need a break for yeah uh, it's like also not to not to say that the phase four heroes are b-list but i'd say outside of the doctor strange and thor films none and of these spider-man and spider-man none of these characters are really a-list avengers and uh i mean Captain Marvel is an Avengers-level hero, but is she an Avengers-level cachet name? I'm not so so sure. People aren't crazy about her first film. And
1: Introducing new characters is always just a a high degree of difficulty, even for Marvel.
0: I think it makes sense that it probably won't be until Phase 5 that we get to the names on this list that we're going to talk about. Interestingly enough, though, I think the discussion of when they choose to introduce some of these is just as interesting as if they pop up at all.
1: That's a a really good point. When is the right time to strike and be like, okay, you know, that uh, post, uh, post grad scene in the Avengers where the first time we saw Thanos? When is that next opportunity? I wonder if it's deep into Phase Four to well then, set up Phase Five. So,
0: so while we're on it, I'll I'll just dive into mine. Right. So I've okay. made a quick. You have you have just one big one that.
1: Well, I, I split mine into like three categories, and then I had just one I wanted to talk about.
0: So I've got so just a quick list that I made: Kang, Thunderbolts, Mephisto, Doctor Doom, Galactus, Mister Sinister, Kraven the Hunter, Magneto, and Norman Osborn. Now, a couple of those belong to Sony. It doesn't mean they can't use them, but that
1: that's all obviously a little bit more complicated. But I, I love the addition of Mister Sinister, who I believe was supposed was originally supposed to be uh, the mastermind behind New Mutants. I, I think John Ham shot a scene and then it was cut.
0: Right, right, yes. Yeah, so I've heard. So it was in the works as is, and the reason that I include that is because it would be nice to see an ex- like an overarching X Men villain that we haven't gotten yet. And that is why I bring up it's interesting as when they choose to bring these guys in, right? Doctor Doom is going to show up. Like, we know that. But are they going to launch a third successive Fantastic Four franchise with him as the villain in the first film? Or do they choose to build up to it? Right. The same goes for Magneto, right? Of course, we're going to get the MCU's take on him. How do you not? But where the problem comes in is the timeline. You feel strong about this, that you cannot change his Nazi Germany origin story. Fine. At the
1: very least, he still has to be Jewish,
0: even if the, oh, you got futs with the timeline. And that may be the, be the case, because the MCU is currently in the year 2023. Yeah, we, it's gonna be, that's going to be tough. We aren't going to be getting these characters in world timeline for, I don't know, another three, four, five years so. And they could
1: even start with more uh, obscure X-Men characters. But like you said, a little bit with Doom, like we build up to,
0: oh, Magneto's like in the third movie or something. Right. Exactly. What about Galactus? He feels like a eventuality, right? Like he is sort of the the end all, be all Marvel villain. He's literally called Conqueror of Worlds or some shit. Just a a completely insane subtitle. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but is he? A, but is he a phase five villain? Is he a phase six villain? Is he a phase seven villain? Like this is the score, sort of scope that that villain has that you can't even really predict as to when the MCU will be able to carry the weight of that type of thing. I think Eternals is going to go a long way in sort of beginning to lay out the scope of getting audiences to understand how much larger the MCU really is. And then once they're able to wrap their head around, it's like space, right? When they, there's that famous gif of like, it zooms out on the planet and then it zooms out on the solar system. And the galaxy. galaxy. So the MCU pretty much has to do that now. I don't know how long that's going to take, but the way in which they lay out these villains is going to play a part in that.
1: Absolutely. And I, I, and I think all the names you just mentioned are really interesting. I think basically a ton of them have to be included at some point. I've kind of just split mine into like three categories of the types of villains I think we'll see at some point moving forward. You know, number one, we got those cosmic supernatural overarching threats, like you mentioned, you know, that's That's a Thanos in the Infinity Saga. That's potentially a Mephisto, which obviously has become a meme at this point. That's, you know, Kang and Galactus. Perhaps we've seen
0: him already.
1: (laughs) Heard it here first, post-cred pod theories. You know, we got a Kang who I'll get to, and we got a Galactus. Then we got our Earth-level threats, you know, a World War Hulk, which I don't know if that's ever going to happen, but it would be a great way to keep Mark Ruffalo in the fold. We got Doctor Doom and Magneto, like you mentioned. Then I think you've got your smaller, unexpected kind of niche villains, your Thunderbolts and your Squadron Supreme. It very much seems like Disney Plus is building up to the Thunderbolts. We'll see about the others. Of those, we know for a fact that the first one we'll see is Kang. We know that because, as we've said on Post-Cred Pod. He is going to be introduced in some form in Loki. And we know for a fact that he has, he will show up in Ant-Man Quantum Mania because Jonathan Majors has been cast. Kevin Feige has uh, confirmed that. But I think they're gonna do something interesting there with Kang as the first guy on on both of our lists to be confirmed showing up. They're clearly setting him up with a time variance authority in Loki and the, you know, again, quantum mania casting. Kang is also in the comics tangled with the young Avengers before young Avengers before, which we seem to be setting up on Disney plus. So he's definitely going to be a multi-project character. However, the original report from the Hollywood reporter, when it was first announced that Jonathan majors was getting in the role said that this could be a new version of the character that differs from the the comics. So to me, rather than like the, Dictatorial despot who traverses time in order to destroy and vanquish and conquer. I think it's entirely possible that the MCU version of Kang might be hell-bent on preserving the timeline as the head of the TVA. And you know, Kang is a logical extension of Marvel's recent focus on time, Avengers Endgame, Loki, as well as the multiverse. You know, Spider-Man, No Way Home, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. And typically in the comics, he is seen as this cosmic level threat akin to Thanos. But I think repositioning him as less than like an outright supervillain and more as this morally ambiguous anti-hero that is just committed to his cause, that could really fit with what the Marvel Cinematic Track Record is doing, which is remixing storylines and characters for their own purposes, and I think maybe make Jonathan Majors a longer-term play if he's kind of straddling straddling that line and can go either way. So I think that's all interesting with the first character we'll see from this list. What
0: lens... Credence to your theory is that Kang in the comics has a connection to the young Avengers, which is something that we all agree is coming and making him more palatable for a younger group would likely be a goal of theirs.
1: Definitely. But I, I really, you know, we both hope that No Way Home is not the end of Tom Holland's Spider Man. And assuming it's not, which we fucking don't know,
0: like, You have to use Norman Osborn, right? You just have to. He's. And I I had that one wrote down here, too, but I I didn't bring it up because you're right. A lot of it has to do with where No Way Home leaves us. Yeah. If Tom Holland, he's, what, 24? He could do this for another six, seven years if he wants. They could do. He could do it for another 10 years. Yeah. Well, at that point, I'm sure he'd burn out, but. Point being is, you know, he's going to star in, not counting the one that's coming out later this year, I would imagine at least two to three more Spider-Man films. I genuinely do. So that gives them a chance to do one of two things, or both. Give fans somebody new, like Kraven, who fans have wanted for a long time, is widely considered to be one of the most iconic Spider-Man bad guys, or and again, this sort of comes down to my point about Magneto, the MCU is going to want to give their take on a character like the Green Goblin. It's just a fact of life. And I also think the idea of a Norman Osborn, a titan of industry, sort of like the anti-Tony Stark, raising hell like both by day and by night in the MCU is a fascinating thing, right? So there's a lot of storytelling potential for... Norman Osborn, as sort of not a celestial cosmic Thanos threat, but a equally A list name, earth level, ground level threat that you could have Avengers and st- such dealing with while they also deal with these demonic multiversal outer space threats. He's a nice counterbalance to the direction that the MCU is going and could serve as an anchor to like the problems that just a deranged rich madman <laughs> yeah. could, could cause
1: you know i think it, it's not out of the question to say he is a lex luther parallel you know he may not be quite as iconic but right. certainly up there and you know i i think some of these names have been thrown out some haven't but i'd love to see like a matthew mcgonaghy a Jean carlo esposito a bob odenkirk maybe take on that role I, I think a lot of that would be fun yeah so i mean though we let's get crazy brad yeah. pitt fuck it well we just want be pity and everything i know i know i know that's what i was I of, of course i would love that
0: i don't think he wants to do that sadly no, i know but like do you think guys like that ever crack what do you mean like you got to assume it's a moral code on their part right like it's just to think that disney hasn't approached the leos and the brad pitts of of the world with a fat bag
1: i don't think it's a it's a moral thing i just think those guys no, not at that not, level- not
0: not moral sorry creative artistic
1: code maybe but i also genuinely think like a lot of these guys are marvel fans but i also genuinely think you know i just don't want to be locked into like a multi-film picture like contract i want to chill like brad pitt's like i sparingly act now i like producing he likes architecture like he he just wants to chill
0: i feel like he's busy again
1: i mean he's starting to get busy busy again but he has said in interviews he's like you know i choose i'm very selective with my projects like, I, I don't even think these guys are like, oh, it's beneath me. I, I just think a lot of them are like, you know, I want my freedom. I want to be able to be like, yeah, oh, yeah, I'm going to yeah, go yeah. do this fucking play. on off Broadway right. randomly.
0: Right, right, right. Good call.
1: But yeah, I mean, so long story short, there's so many exciting options that I think phase four has the chance to be very exciting while going in a different direction with its villain architecture. And
0: we're going to find out soon. Yeah. But before you we may find
1: have out, that first that first step, that first key. Oh, I'm ready, baby. I'm ready. But before we find out, let's talk to another name associated with the superhero world about all his upcoming projects, all the things that could have been. That is the Zack Snyder interview. And please afterwards, let us know if you have any thoughts, comments, hit us up.
0: All right, folks, today we are joined by a very awesome guest. I honestly think we've said this man's name more than any other name (laughs) in our podcast. It helps that his name was in the title of his last film. You know him as the director of films such as 300, Man of Steel, and Army of the Dead. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Zack Snyder. How are you today, sir?
2: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me.
0: I am so stoked to talk to you. Congrats on your new film, Army of the Dead. I had... Such a blast, and I think that's the point of film these days, especially with the year that we just went through, and it also felt like the logical next step in zombie films in terms of both what the zombies can do and the world building outside of it. I love the idea of society carrying on while there's a zombie outbreak. So let's start with the cast, wide-ranging cast. Did you build the characters on actors you wanted to work with, or vice versa? And how did you go about crafting this sprawling cast?
2: It was a bit of a vice versa, I would say. Um the but but each of them sort of got customized a little bit based on kind of who we then got, you know. Um, I always imagined uh the Scott character, Dave Batista's character as being a little bit older than um. Than Dave, but Dave totally works as the dad in this movie. I don't think it, you you don't bat an eye, um, but uh, you know, I think originally he was named Scott after Scott Glenn. Um, oh, Scott that, Glenn, that was
0: think wrong there. That? No, Scott Glenn, great call.
2: Yeah, so that, that but you know the story's been around for a while, but yeah, and Scott's you know good friend and you know very a great inspiration, but I, like a really. Um, I've been talking with Dave. We've been trying to look for a project. And this came along and I was like, wait a minute, Dave is perfect for this. Also because there's a little bit of um, you know, he he's, you know, this big, you know, physically capable, like, you know, like a soldier, warrior, whatever. But also, you know, really vulnerable and having to be really um, you know, kind of opens himself up to us. And I think that was. A thing that uh, I thought I thought that uh, Dave would do a great job at. And he did. Really, really, really good.
0: Well, that's what's great about Dave is I think that he obviously could do the drama as well as the set pieces. So I want to talk about the set pieces. What are the different challenges and or rewards of filming a zombie set piece versus filming a superhero set piece?
2: I think with... Um... What we were able to accomplish uh, with, say, even casino, we call it casino battle, let's say for an example, where um, there's a scene where the zombies make it onto the casino floor and there's a big fight. Uh, They're just trying to make it to the elevator, across the, um, you know, you get to really see, as opposed to like, say, doing a superhero version of that, where some, you know, Superman's got to fight his way through you know whatever it is to get to another place it would be pretty much pieced together through visual effects and slowly evolve over the course of you know whatever the year of post but in the case of this you know and the fun of it is you really get to see you know the zombies the fighting's happening right there and it's really a really rewarding and fun to really shoot them you know, physically in the space, physically fighting. I do love that, um, doing that as well. You know, like to do the actual, actual fights uh, right on camera, and so it's a slightly different process, but same, same uh, basic outcome. You know, the hope is anyway for the, the drama and the action to all kind of come together in this little in the set piece sequences. So Army of the Dead is this big budget ambitious original movie for Netflix.
1: I'm wondering is streaming the kind of only viable home for these types of original home run swings that aren't part of pre-existing franchises and known IP
2: these days? It's an interesting it's an interesting way to think about it. Um I don't know that I've only, you know, this is my first movie I've done with Netflix. I haven't analyzed the marketplace in a super deep dive other than to say that it is true that uh Netflix and and in regard to Army that yeah this is original IP it's a big budget but not a huge budget it's not it's not a you know superhero tentpole budget but you know the world building and sort of the sort of the specific like entering of another world is very is is akin to that kind of um summer blockbuster creation um i purposely tried to give it even through the photography a very sort of intimate and kind of really kind of um uh organic feeling because i knew we were going to be dealing with these huge elements and i thought if the movie was doubly slick that you can lose one you know like the audience has to keep buying all these different zombie tropes and different uh, cinematic tropes that i kind of purposely keep slinging in and i wanted to make sure that the photography kept you hooked that the the actual the camera and the way we were using the camera was almost you're a third person you're part of the journey and I felt like that I could keep stacking on the tropes um, because I kind of had you a lot like you couldn't get away. You right. were like you were like one of the members of the team. And um, yeah, so that so that was kind of the why of it. but but to get back to this whole notion of, but I, but I did want to create um, this sort of feeling of a summer blockbuster, a kind of tentpole, because I felt like it's well, a cool, it was job a cool, done. <laughs> it's a cool, also, for me, and just in my partnership with Netflix, I just feel like that this is a cool thing to start doing, at, at, sort of in the, net, in the Netflix format, where Netflix is a place to go for these kind of blockbuster movies. That's what I kind of want to that language I think is is right. really cool and, and a fun thing to play. Even now, I, and even Netflix in response to the movie has said like, okay, well, let's put it in theaters as well. You know, that's a cool, like which, I never- Congrats
0: on that. Yeah, yeah. congrats yeah. on that. No, the news really just cool. came out, I think today or was that last yesterday. night?
2: Time, yeah, yesterday. T- time yeah, all blends so at this point. <laughs> yeah, so that's, so it was a really cool development. And I just thought that was a, it's kind of this full circle kind of affair, which I think is cool.
0: Well, you bring up a great point about being full circle. That leads me to what I want to ask next, Zach. Was there a sense of catharsis and re- sort of returning to the genre that started it all for you? And did you make that choice on purpose?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, not 100%. On, I didn't think about it in this sort of global way, or sort of you know with the you know uh, with perspective on my career or. <laughs> my sort of emotional place. It was really, um, it was an it's idea- It's been a I'd busy
0: ha- few years then, cause that's why I asked. Yeah,
2: no, 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 it totally makes sense. I mean, um, I guess it just felt like a thing that I was interested in and I had a lot, of enthusiasm, a lot of enthusiasm for. So, you know, in talking to Netflix and them saying, hey, we think this is a cool idea. I was like, it is a cool idea. Let's, sure, let's do it. Like when you want to do it, and they're like right now. And I was like, right now, okay, fine. Um, you know, and then Shay and I just wrote the script really quick. We rewrote it from zero. We had a script, but we just didn't, I didn't even look at it. I just, we started again from page one and just rewrote the whole thing. And I just really got energized by the process. And then that also led to sort of my, my desire to like shoot the movie myself and, you know, be, you know, and operate and just really kind of connect sort of with the cinema with cinema again, I guess if you will, even making Justice League, you know, your distance from the camera is pretty great. Like the way when you make a giant uh blockbuster um superhero movie, the cast is like somewhere over there. You know, so for me, it was um it was really nice to be like right to make this sort of organic. So
0: even for you, despite the fact that it's Netflix and zombies and Vegas and this big affair for you, it felt small scale.
2: It was like, yeah, no, it felt really small and intimate and like, yeah, like a real like kind of um, organic, if you will, experience. And I think that was, and that was fun because I, uh, you know, I just, I, I, yeah, even though it does be, it does feel like a giant world and actually, you know, we made it where I was like, okay, well, let's. We know we have this huge element of zombies. We have this huge element of like destroyed Vegas, you know, which is these two worlds don't exist. You can't just go film those things. Right. So we knew we were going to manufacture all of that, which is the thing I'm comfortable with. It's not weird, but, you know, it does take resources to do that, you know. Gotcha. And gotcha. so um, I just wanted to make sure the sort of crew and the, and the way we shot it, we kept you know, control over that, Keep it small and intimate and, gotcha. you know.
0: I want to now swing over to Man of Steel, which is a film that I love. It's one of my favorite films of all time. I think I love it that more than most, to be honest, I would put it in my top 20, even though I'm a Batman guy. I love this movie. Uh, and I actually have this theory. Feel free to confirm or deny that you were originally hired to do what Nolan did for Batman for Superman, but what I want to ask is if you kept going with the Superman focused film series, what villain would you have liked to do next? And rather, what about the challenges that they posed to soups did you find appealing?
2: Uh, we talked about um a Brainiac movie. Yeah, and I I mean, but I do think that there was a, you know, the 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 Kryptonians um, that are in the Phantom Zone are probably still around. Um, and uh, there was always a, a possibility <clears throat> for their return. Um, Fiora and the and and whoever's left. <clears throat> so that that always was a thing that was out there that we talked about as a possible, you know, sequel follow-up. Uh, so there's a lot of that. Uh, and I just always think that, like, it's best to um, to give Superman um, these kind of extraterrestrial challenges because I think that you got to be careful with his... Ch- I mean, other than Lex, and, of course, you'd have to continue with Lex because Lex is his real men- nemesis. But, like, I think you really have to look outside of the Earth, Um for challenges for him because of his how powerful he is so just to build off that quickly you know
1: jj abrams is producing a new film the cw show is running it seems to be very hard to get a ton of audiences to agree on what superman should be in a modern context so i'm just curious in future sequels what would you have done to to kind of Exemplify how and, and, and the ways he would work in this contemporary landscape. You know, what directions would you have taken
2: him beyond yeah, just I, these otherworldly forces? I, I I don't know that I would have taken him in a different direction than the direction I was taking him. I, I'm I think Henry is a great superman. I had a great time Definitely. um working with Henry. And, and I think that also um we we endeavored to to make him in man's field sort of a modern superman in that he is um in in his relationship to society and or the modern world we did we did that math, and like what would happen if uh and it's kind of what the movie's about frankly um man of steel is about like what if superman what if we really had a superman what would it mean you know it, it comes across I-
0: I think I think time is going to be very kind to that film, Zach. Um, I think that the human parts are the best parts about it, which is an achievement unto itself. But for you, as a film fan, as a comic book fan, was there ever a moment, a specific moment that you'd think of where you said to yourself, holy shit, I'm directing a Superman film? And if so, what was that moment?
2: Probably uh, Smallville Battle, which we shot pretty early in the schedule. And Henry was just standing out on the streets of Smallville in a Superman outfit, you know, kind of walking down the street. And I was just there's that iconic shot
0: of him in front of the flag. Yeah. Yeah. And
2: I was just like, geez, like, okay."
0: (laughs) I don't blame you, dude. Oh, my God.
2: (laughs) This is this is cool. (laughs) Yeah, but it was cool. And if those moments are short lived because, like, you know, Henry would walk up to me and be like, it's a hundred degrees out here. And he'd like pull his sleeve and sweat <laughs> would roll out of his suit, like pour out. And I was like, oh geez, like that's, that's crazy. And his I'm,
1: sacrifice so- doesn't go unnoticed though. I, uh, I like yeah. to say it's the Man of Steel is the closest we'll ever get to a li- a good live action Dragon Ball Z movie because of how epic and unbelievable the actual choreography of those fight scenes were.
2: Yeah. Especially yeah. the Smallville scene. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, Zach, I love that film. So thank you for that. Uh, I want to now switch to... Sort of the reason why I'm in this space to begin with, and that is Batman. I've got a tiny little Batman tattoo. Oh, yeah, here. that's pretty cool. As you can see, yeah, this is Gotham <laughs> and whatnot. So I want to ask you, because this is where I really nerd out, man. What is the most misunderstood aspect of Batman to you, and how did you try to explore that?
2: I guess for me, you know, there's, there's a couple, there's a couple like sort of philosophical approaches you could take to Batman and um monk warrior um was not the way i went <laughs> um <laughs> that's and, the light uh,
0: way of putting it yeah
2: you know and i just think that like you know i always like the batman that like fucks to forget and that is i, I don't know if, like i like him when he's like the when bruce wayne is broken and you know obviously i i like that um you know he's not you know he 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 uses sex and drugs and not drugs maybe painkillers and and alcohol to those
0: are definitely drugs
2: to yeah (laughs) to you know to um to to numb himself Uh, the only time he's really happy or not happy but like at ease is in the bat suit like he's he's being batman is the only way to like to, to dull the pain of what happened to him as a child and and then frankly what happened to him you know with pretty much a lot of his loved ones anyone apparently anyone who Batman loves you know he can lose he loses and I think that's a big it's a big problem for him and I think all justice League really for me was about like is always about like um Batman like getting a family again like sort of re, finding himself among these these people that he, in a lot of ways, he's not as afraid to lose because they're gods, you know, like it's like a different right. He could relate to them. He's not afraid to love them, you know? So, yeah. yeah.
0: Uh, so you bring up a good point about sort of the inherent violence of Batman. And I'm sure you've seen the trailer for the Batman. And you could ask Brandon here, I think of your <laughs> warehouse Batman fight scene, That's my favorite Batman on film fight scene of all time. So brings it up at least
1: once every podcast. That's
0: unprompted.
2: (laughs) I'm fine with that.
0: So, what I want to ask you is, including your Batman and the sort of new version that we're getting, what do you think explains, if at all, the growing acceptance and/or embrace of Batman's inherent violence? Is it a societal thing? Can, can, Can you peg that at all?
2: I mean, look uh the truth is that uh if you're going to come up it's it's you the rubber hits the road when you start to analyze um the practicality of batman apprehending the bad guy and or confronting what we would consider the the, the villain um without a a, a violent conflict inside inside of the, that mythological confrontation. I don't think there's a way to, to, well, I mean, there is, you know, the bad guy could just surrender and, um, you know, or Batman could decide not to get involved. Those are the two options for us not to have violent resolution of that conflict. And those are fine. Those are fine ways to go. I don't know that it's an interesting movie um you know um but it, it's a it's a certainly a viable option uh for for them to just negotiate their way at, through it um you know if batman says listen i don't want to i would love it if you just rolled out <laughs> yeah just don't do that bad stuff anymore and then you surrender and then that's the end of the movie uh I'm sure Deathstroke would be willing to get a beer and yeah, talk it that, over that's with that's a him. viable yeah Deathstroke <laughs> just lays down his arms and they both agree that you're right. It was a big misunderstanding. Honestly, it's often a big misunderstanding, but <laughs> but you know, but that's mythological as well. But you know, like we just like let's agree to disagree, but no more violence. And that's fine. That would be amazing. Uh, it's not as long of a movie um but it's certainly a possibility but for for me i think and i do think of that in very mythological terms and so for me the 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 sort of armed conflict it really is not about the literal vigilante crime solving as it is um you know batman is like He's a metaphor for like the darkest parts of ourselves, and that 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 are that are endeavoring to be turned toward the light. And I think that um, when he goes up against the Joker, or against the Riddler, or Catwoman, these are these are also clearly metaphors. <laughs> you know that are they actual criminals i don't know but are they do they represent this sort of psyche this dark psyche that is chaos or evil or whatever and does he have to confront it directly yes and so that does often manifest itself in some sort of physical fight and whether or not that's you know the thesis that it's accepted by modern culture that's an that's another debate but and i'm 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 happy to talk about it, but I just think that we end up with at least from my point of view, this, this, you know, mythological battle is like a battle for our souls, you know, and like Batman's on one side and evil's on the other and they're going to come to blows.
0: Well, based on what all of you just said, I'm going to sort of tie this all in and one nice bow. What do you think our real world could use more of right now, Batman or Superman and why?
2: Well, I'm going to say, I'm going to say probably Superman only because Batman, I think on a sort of, on an individual psychological level, we probably need a little more Batman in the sense that, you know, Batman, the world's a scary place and Batman um, is unafraid to go out into the world and sort of confront that darkness. But I do think that the Superman, the reason, and and so, you know, just from a purely sort of, you know, uh, confidence and um, a way of living in like uncertain times, Batman represents a a proactive approach to the world. Um, But the reason I say Superman is because I believe that Superman, you know he does have like this his 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 moral code is very like it's strong and it's it and it's he puts it first and he's willing to he he's willing to sacrifice himself and or his comfort for like his loved ones and i'm not saying batman wouldn't do that but batman is more of a loner you know yeah. in yeah. that way
0: well, Zach, that's going to do it for us. I thank you for your time, sir. I am an immense Very fan of yours, so this has been a huge thrill of mine. I am, I am rooting for you deeply in everything you do going forward. Everybody, make sure to go out and check out Army of the Dead in theaters on Friday. What is that, May fourteenth, right? And then Netflix on the twenty first. On the twenty first and Netflix. Correct. So you can watch it both times It's fine. You go to the theater and then yes. you want to check
2: it out because there's a lot of easter eggs we're going to have to talk about this for more do months. you have
0: one that you could give us right now to keep I, out I think the, our I eyes. think
2: the thing to look for and it's not really an easter egg as much as it's a as it's a layer and that is the you'll notice that some of the zombies um there's a particular something going on with some of the zombies uh and if you look closely um it's worth a deep dive I think all right, we need to awesome. rewatch. I can't Zach, wait. you need to rewatch.
0: Thank you again, sir. There's, uh, yeah. Thank Appreciate you for your time. You. Take care, Zach.
2: Thank you.
1: All right, big thanks to Zach Snyder for joining us here on Post Cred Pod. If you guys like that, follow us at Post Cred Pod. At Twitter, leave us a five-star review. Let us know what you want to talk, what you want us to talk about next. Is there a theory? Is there a show? Is there a movie? Is there an idea you have? Let us know on an Apple podcast review and we'll get to it.
0: A few things here. Thanks to Zach. Go check out Army of the Dead, which hits theaters today, May 14th, before streaming on Netflix next Friday, May 21st. Uh, we are close to 5,000 followers Ooh. on Twitter, so if you could help get us there, that'd be great. We launched August of last year. I am currently speaking on May 14th, so that gives us June, July, August—three months until our one-year date. Can we get to 10K in that time? Let's go! Let's I just, go! I don't—I mean, I—I I, I would love to see it. It's gonna take a hell of a push, but if, share retweet subscribe all that good shit y'all talk to you next week until next week I
2: am the father. i'm gonna make him an office
0: my name is maximus decimus meridius